Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself, looking dark back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up wide open. Welcome back here to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Merrill. We have a big episode here lined up with a very special guest. A full one-hour conversation, and it was a really good one. But before we go to that, we have seen a lot go down in the NFL over the last week as we continue to recognize just how weird, just how different this season will be in 2020. As of this recording, over 40 players have opted out of the 2020 NFL season and the latest big name being Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley. We also saw a head coach test positive for Corona, that being Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. And that's really concerning because there are coaches in the NFL who are up there in age, like Pete Carroll, the Seahawks head coach. He doesn't look like it, but he's 68 years old. There are some assistant head coaches or assistant coaches in the NFL who were up there in age as well in their 70s. So we'll probably have more opt-outs coming up this week until most likely Wednesday. That is a day that is the last day expected to be for opt-outs. That's not official yet, but most likely. And teams will continue to do testing, and we will continue to get updates on how the season will eventually happen. We are now just over one month until the scheduled kickoff between the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Still a lot that needs to be answered until then. All right, on to this week's episode. And this week we have ESPN NFL insider Field Yates on the podcast. Field was actually on the podcast right before COVID took over the world. Like, it was a few days before the NBA suspended their season when he was on the podcast. And as you'll hear in my conversation with him, this podcast probably does not exist if it was not for him. And we end up talking for over an hour this time around. And we went division by division and we talked about a bunch of different teams and storylines as this season continues to get closer and closer. I also spoke to him about his path to ESPN and that was very interesting to me. And then we also, of course, talked some fantasy football because who does not love fantasy football, right? So we did all of that, a full one-hour conversation. But before we go to field, a quick word from our exclusive sponsor, betonline.ag. Sports is back and and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Baseball and basketball are both back, and there is no better place to bet on your favorite teams than betonline.ag. Go check out all the odds, futures, and props that they have, and go bet. It is all available 24-7, and with the return of sports, BetOnline also sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Horry, and what they did is actually really cool. They sat down and they talked about how will it be to play without fans, and it's a series that they are calling 
Fandemic. So go check that out, betonline.ag, all your odds, all your up-to-date sports news, it's all there. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solutions. All right, so now here it is. Here is my full one-hour conversation with ESPN's Field Yates. As I said before, this podcast probably does not exist if it's not for him. You'll hear why very soon here as we start our conversation. But besides for that, we went division by division. We talked about all the storylines that interest me, all the teams that I think are very interesting as the season gets closer. We talked about his career, how he worked for the Patriots, worked for the Chiefs, how he got involved in fantasy, and of course, we talked fantasy. So all of that and more, here it is, my full discussion with ESPN Field Yates. Joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he's an ESPN NFL insider. He is the co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, which returns August 3rd. He is one of the main reasons I started this podcast. Back for a second time, it is Field Yates. Field, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ari? How many recurring guests have you had? I, I, I would like to think that there aren't many, so... I consider it a great honor to be invited on once and an even greater honor to be invited up the second time. Yeah, it is pretty rare. You know, you are the second recurring guest I've had on this podcast. Jordan Schultz, who also works at ESPN, has been on here twice as well. And, you know, for those who might not know, I've said it here once before maybe, but you are, as I said, one of the main reasons I started this podcast. And it was almost one year ago when I met you in person and we spoke and you were the one who convinced me to start a podcast and here we are 40 episodes in and field you are a big reason for that so I thanked you privately before I want to thank you again here on the podcast as well so thank you for that well I appreciate you saying that and here's what I would say Ari is that there are probably people out there right now who are like you or like me who are passionate about football or sports media and want to take their career to the next level or start their career. And when you and I were talking, when you made that trip up to Bristol, it was a fairly fundamental conversation is that you have the access to build a podcast right away from your computer. In the same way that if we wanted to start a YouTube channel together, we could do that. Or if we wanted to start Mm -hmm. a blog, a separate blog from your own website, a blog about travel or something, we Mm -hmm. could do exactly that. So uh, I'm really glad to see that uh, you uh, have had such success with your podcast. It doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, for anybody else out there who might be listening and might be thinking the same thing um, about how they could get themselves uh, started in their sports media career, my first piece of advice is start building that library of content. Totally, 100%. And it's kind of funny because usually when I have guests on like you or when we had Mike Reese or Adam Schefter on here, one of the questions that I usually end off with is, what advice do you have for people who want to be involved with sports? That is usually the last question I would ask them. And here we are off the bat giving advice, and I absolutely love it. So there is that. And, you know, we're also going to talk about you later on and how you got to your point. So there's more coming later on here on the podcast. But what I want to start with here is... 
you know, we're all hoping for the season to start on time. No one really knows what's going to happen. But what I want to do here is go division by division and just pick one storyline from each division or the one team that most fascinates me. And let's talk a little bit. So let's start with the AFC North. And I think we both agree that the Ravens should still be great. But the team that I want to talk about here is Pittsburgh. You know, I truly believe that if Ben is healthy, this team is not just a playoff team, but they have Super Bowl potential. The defense is still nasty. The offensive line is still top five in the NFL. The offensive weapons should bounce back. And they added Chase Claypool. They added Eric Ebron. Field, this team was 8-8 eight and eight last year with Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Am I crazy for thinking all this? I don't think you're crazy. I think that they are a team that if I had to make my uh, AFC playoff predictions as of right now, and just full disclosure, we're taping this on Friday, July 31st, mm-hmm. that they would be one of the teams that I would have slotted into. Remember this year we have that third uh, additional wildcard spot. So they are a team that strikes me as very much in the, very much in the mix for a wildcard spot. But let's sort of peel back a little bit and re-examine that season from last year because – Yes, they did go eight and eight. Um, if you look back at some of the teams they played, like I, I don't, and it, listen, eight and eight ultimately is an impressive thing with the unsteady quarterback play uh, that you were referring to. You know, I think down the stretch, they won a couple of games against teams that I think, I don't know if they're on to 2020, but they certainly weren't playing for a whole lot in terms of consequences. But let's go back to the strengths because you mentioned them. Uh, and Ben Roethlisberger is a separate conversation, but the strengths are the offensive line. The strengths are a pass rush that last year had two outstanding players. I mean, TJ Watt is one of the, I don't know how many, but let's say eight best players mm-hmm. on defense in the NFL. Uh, and then Bud Dupree had a career year. That's why you get the franchise tag. So there is defensive potential uh, up front. Uh, and, and certainly the weapons are intriguing if they play to uh, potential this year. Now, Let's talk about where these weapons fit, though, because what we saw last year is that Juju Smith-Schuster was either undone by the quarterback play or Mm -hmm. undone by the idea that maybe he wasn't quite ready to take over a number one wide receiver role and dominate. I tend to think that it's probably more about the fact that they just had such bad quarterback play. But I think there's a lot of responsibility on Juju this year uh, with Ben Roethlisberger. So if – and I don't want to put too much pressure on just a single player to determine the fortunes of a Mm -hmm. team because I think the only one in this team that has that much pressure on him is Ben Roethlisberger because of the position that he plays. But I think Juju can kind of be a a real lever player for them this year. As in, like, if he reaches the upside that some believe he has, you know, this offense could be dynamic. If Mm -hmm. not, if maybe he is – the kind of guy that you like as your 1B or your number two wide receiver, then I'm not so sure they're explosive enough to keep up with Baltimore. And, you know, the AFC has a little bit of depth this year. I know we think there's at least two teams in the AFC East that could compete. I think at least two in the AFC West. And the AFC South feels like they've got three teams yeah. that could legitimately compete for a playoff spot this season. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned Juju and – This would actually also apply to James Conner, where both those guys coming off bad seasons are entering contract years. And we know 
players, usually when they enter a contract year, it motivates them to do well because if they do well, obviously the next offseason they will have a chance to get paid big time in free agency. So there's that part. And then, of course, the defense, as you said, they were just so good last year, especially after adding Minka Fitzpatrick. They were just lights out. But at the end of the day, I do believe it really does come down to Ben Roethlisberger, how he does coming off the elbow injury. He looks good based off what his teammates are saying, but we're going to have to see how he does on the field. And if he does well, I truly believe this is a team that will compete in the AFC. Let's flip over to the NFC North. And this is a very interesting division. There's a lot that can be talked about, but... For me, clearly the biggest storyline in this division has to be the Chicago Bears quarterback competition. There's no preseason, which for sure makes this even more complicated. I've been going back and forth on this. I really know who's going to be the starter for week one. Who do you think is starting week one for the Chicago Bears? I think it's Nick Foles. And I actually, and I know that they're saying all the things about Mitch Trubisky having a, you know, a the leg up because of the fact, I actually think that Matt Nagy himself conceded, you know, Mitch having been here, done that, um, and in this unique, uncommon offseason, he's kind of has the advantage. I actually don't think it's close. I would be very surprised if Nick Foles is not the starting quarterback going into this regular season. Now, he may not stay the starting quarterback for the entire year, but the investment relative to what the rest of the NFL paid for quarterbacks this offseason was not at the top of the chart, right? I mean, you had guys like Teddy Bridgewater signed for three years and $63 million, and Tom Brady two years for $50 million, and, you know, Phillip Rivers for one year and $25 million. But still, to trade a draft pick, even a mid-round one, and three years and $24 million guaranteed to acquire Nick Foles, um, I, I just don't think it's the kind of layer that you add as depth um, and, and a backup. And you know something, Ari? I think that uh, – and I don't, I, I don't know this for a – this to be just specifically the case for the Bears. But one thing that you have to be really sort of careful with um, if you're a coach, you can control these sort of things, is that when you have what can be a dominant unit on one side of the ball, which is what the defense can be if playing at its best, right? We saw it mm -hmm. two seasons ago, and they were actually pretty solid last year. It just wasn't quite um, you know, as dominant based off turnovers and sack production. But when you have a dominant defense or you have a dominant offense, if the other side of the ball doesn't reciprocate enough, it can cause some frustration, right? And if, if, if I'm the Bears, I think part of me is like, if we turn back to, to Mitch Trubisky, uh, it's, it's one thing if, if he just absolutely dazzles during training camp and Nick Foles uh, has a very uninspiring training camp. But I have a hard time believing uh, that, A, Nick Foles is going to flatline, is, is just going to be a poor performer during training camp. And that B, that Mr. Trubisky is going to be able to stand out so much above and beyond Nick Foles to justify that. So I think that ultimately Nick Foles takes over as a starter. And I think the skill set is probably is superior to, to Trubisky. And also I think there's a swagger about him, right? This team mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of margin for error this year. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, you go back to back disappointing seasons that it's going to put some people on the hot seat. And I think that Nick Foles gives him a better chance to immediately revert back to where we were or where they were I should say in 2018. 
Yeah, for sure, totally. And it's interesting, again, because Trubisky's fifth-year option was declined. The Bears trade for Foles. They give up a fourth-round pick. They adjust his contract. But the other thing that makes me lean towards Foles slightly right now is that they hired a bunch of coaches who have familiarity with him from Bill Lazor and John DeFilippo. Matt Nagy um, was with him for that one year in Kansas City, I believe. But then again, I also think Trubisky is Ryan Pace's draft pick. So it makes me wonder, maybe let's give him one more shot or at least make it his job to lose. That is such an interesting situation. But, you know, as I said before, not having a preseason, not having OTAs, having a limited training camp makes it so much tougher for them. So that's interesting. By the way, since we're here on the NFC North... Are you buying all this Detroit Lions hype that I'm seeing right now? Your colleagues, Diana Rossini, Mina Kimes, they are really high on them, like winning the division high. Are you buying all of that? Uh, I have a hard time with the division. And I talked about this with Mina on her show. Is I actually think that the Vikings have an excellent chance to be just like a, a real contender in the NFC this year. Um, but let me defend the Lions a little bit because, and there are a variety of statistics that we look at uh, year over year, and some of them carry more weight than others. But I do believe that the Lions' point differential prior to Matthew Stafford and a couple of notable games last year is something that is worth noting. Uh, nobody had the remedy for the Chiefs last season, obviously. They're the Super Bowl champions. But you remember that, like, the Lions have played them, excuse me, have played the, played the Chiefs incredibly tough last year. Mm-hmm. Week three. They yeah, ended up losing three. the game. Yeah, it was a very, very close game at the time. And again, there, there's, no mis- there's no solving Patrick Mahomes, but it was an ardent effort. Um, and you look at some, some of the other games they lost last year. Remember, I mean, the first game of the season, they blow this big lead against mm-hmm. Arizona. They end up tying the game. It just feels like there were innumerable, oppor- innumerable opportunities last year where um, – the Lions found ways to lose, and some of it was not like some of that was actually just poor luck. And I think that some of that's going to revert this year. Plus, Matthew Stafford, who I know a lot of people have pointed out how effective he was through eight games last season. And he's going to be one of those players, Ari, that one day we're going to go back and we're going to retroactively examine his career, and it's going to cause all sorts of consternation and debate because uh, unless things change in a hurry, he hasn't had a ton of team success. But he's had plenty of individual success. He's incredibly tough. I think he's a a dynamic talent. So along all of those lines, I think the Lions could be scrappy and competitive and maybe push um, for nine or so wins. Uh, But I think it's going to take like a 12-win effort this year uh, to overtake either the Packers or the Vikings in this division. So I'm not quite there on forecasting them is the NFC North champs. Uh-huh, yeah. I feel like every year I really like the Lions and then they completely fail me and we all look like idiots in the end. Well, speak to your friends in Detroit. I I have a few there. That's exactly what they tell me, unfortunately. <laughs> it's true. I, I do speak to them on Twitter with the DMs and they're always excited every year at the start and then by week seven, they're back to being depressed. And I, I really do feel bad for them. But looking at this division, I do agree that it is Minnesota and Green Bay on top, Chicago and Detroit somewhere there in the middle. But I do think this division is wide open. Like I don't really see a clear favor there and it really could go anywhere, especially in this type of a year. So that's another very interesting division. Let's move over now to the AFC South. And I like the Titans, but I love the Colts even more. I don't really know how you feel about this, but 
Chris Ballard finally pulled the trigger and made a splash move, trading for Buckner, which I love. That guy is a monster. I think Phillip Rivers, with, the, with a real offensive line, will make him better. Their draft was solid. Are you with me that the Colts are number one in this division? I'm not, and I, I don't like to make the same points on multiple podcasts, but um, I will sort of re- repeat one that I had, uh, I, again, with Mina's show, which we take this, I would tell you how long ago it was, but I have no clue. Time is beyond <laughs> relative right now. Uh, we typed it at some point during quarantine. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, however, so um, my point on why I had the Titans ahead of the Colts is that both of them have X factors. Right. So if and, I, and I'm, I'm not even talking about just Philip Rivers, but there are some guys that I think the Colts are counting on to step into larger roles this year. Um, and they need them to be even better players than they have been so far in their career. Not that they haven't been good players, but they need to be really, really solid players. Right. So on offense, a guy like Paris Campbell, on defense, a guy like Kari Willis, like there are players on both sides of the ball that they need to step up. So the Colts have players that I need to see it to believe it. The Titans have players that I've already seen it happen. Like for example, Ryan Tannehill, it's a matter of doing it again. So by the slightest of edge, I give uh, it to the, uh, to the, the Colts here. I'm sorry, to the Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I wish I hadn't been as strong on when I spoke to Mina was I, I overlooked the Texans too much. And I wonder if we're doing the same thing here because who's the best player in that division and, and, and who is the best player in that division by a long shot. And you and I both know who that is. And he yes. plays. Interesting. It's not. So, close. right. I don't want to undersell the potential of Deshaun Watson because he's that good, right? He's just that special and that unique and that much of a game changer and a player that if everything goes right for Houston because of Deshaun Watson, they can be one of the three best teams in the AFC. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not even close. Watson's the best player in the division. I mean, they've won the division four out of the last five years, which is really impressive, if I'm not mistaken, four out of the last five. But I'm just concerned with Houston, with all the movement they had this offseason, especially the, the, the Hopkins trade, if everything is still going to be normal there, if you know what I mean. Like... Will the locker room still be all in on Bill O'Brien? Does that make sense to you? It does. And, you know, sometimes I want – so here's one of the hard – and I don't mean to, to rant here or diatribe, but it is important for people that might be listening to the show and want to one day do what we are doing right now, is that when a team makes a move, no matter what the move is, whether it's a guy – you know, trimming a, a – undrafted free agent or whether it's trading away you know the best player in your roster or second best player in your roster like they did with DeAndre Hopkins is that my instinct is to try and figure out why that team did what they did because not every move is going to work out obviously right we know that Mm -hmm. however um, there are times where teams do things that seem really silly or stupid or dumb at the time. And we later find out a whole bunch more context that makes more sense, right? And the Patriots have done this for 20 years, right? They've done audacious things. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, how is this possible, right? How are you cutting Lawyer Malloy, one of the great players in your roster? Well, they go back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Like, they know what they're doing. So they've earned the benefit of the doubt. In 
you know, Houston, I think that that's the difference is that people haven't yet given or will not give Bill O'Brien the benefit of the doubt. So um, the reason I bring this all full, how I bring this all full circle is just that um, I don't know how every player feels, but I want to at least introduce the possibility that like maybe the, the, the respect that players suggest publicly for Bill O'Brien, it's not just players saying they respect their coach because not saying that would be a big issue. Does that make sense? I think it's legit that like these guys buy in on Bill O'Brien and what he is selling and what he is um, doing day to day that we don't see. We, we see the Sunday product and we see the transactions. We just don't see the stuff that happens, you know, day in and day out. Right. I think you make a good point because if you remember when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack a couple of years ago, everyone hated on John Gruden. But in a way, we now know that they were not going to pay that type of money for him. And here we are now. They were able to get a massive haul for him. And as great as Mack is, Raiders fans, for the most part, are now okay with that trade. You know what? Great example. I wish I'd thought of that one. And, and here I am, and, and call me, you know, I, I am 100% guilty of this. It's like I jumped on that trade right away, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, wow. Like, that, that is just uh, like the, the Khalil Mack. <laughs> and, yeah, here we are. And, um, again, I, I still think I prefer Khalil Mack in a vacuum. But, you know, the, the, the Raiders have a chance to kind of rewrite the narrative a little bit on that trade, and maybe they already have. Right, and I think the only reason why the Hopkins trade was heavily criticized was because of the return they got, especially taking on David Johnson's contract. I don't want to fall into a whole loophole here and talk about all of this, but that is why many people didn't like it. Like, when you compare this trade to the Khalil Mack trade where Oakland got two first-round picks and more, and here the Texans got a second-round pick and a running back contract that nobody was willing to touch. That is why I, along with many people, did not like it. But you're right. Give him the benefit of the doubt. The AFC South, Watson is the best player in that division easily. And we all know how important the quarterback position is. Um, that division, along with the NFC West, are the two most intriguing divisions for me. And we'll get to the West in a little bit. But I do want to move on to the NFC South. And there was a lot of movement in that division as well. The Bucks are the obvious team to talk about, but there is only one team in the NFL for me that I literally have no idea what to expect from them, and that is the Panthers. You know, new head coach with almost no NFL experience, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator in Joe Brady, new defensive coordinator. Their entire draft was on defensive players. What are your expectations for this team? Because I really do not know. Yeah, that's a, my expectations are a long year in Carolina. And so I, I've tweeted this before, but the Panthers, the only team in the NFL this offseason with a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a new special teams coordinator, and also a new starting quarterback. Now, heck, I think you could eliminate the special teams coordinator part of that equation. It would still be accurate. <laughs> uh, not only not only do they have all those pieces, but think about the guys that are gone, the guys that are, that are, that are they signed. It's, I mean, it's a whole new world, right? I mean, it is, and it's not just a uh, new head coach. It's a new head coach who Matt Rule is a stud, but Matt Rule was not hired because he's an offensive ace, a defensive guru. He was hired because he's a program builder. 
he takes I mean, he takes college programs from the, the, the depths of, of you know what yeah. and builds them back into national contenders like he did with Baylor, right? I mean, he put yeah. Baylor on the map again. He took Temple, put them on the map. I mean, while so while he has coached in the NFL as an assistant with the Giants previously, an assistant offensive line coach, I don't think anybody's saying like Matt Rule is going to be the guy that sort of fixes this offense. It's Joe Brady. He was, of course, the wonder kid. Everybody wanted a piece of this offseason who does have the chance to fix this offense. But my expectations are a long year. And unlike other situations where I wonder if it's going to be uh, difficult to keep the focus for the players. Jacksonville is one that I'm thinking of because I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Um, I think there's a chance that Carolina is a team that they will be kind of remind me of Miami last year. They're going to be overmanned in some games, especially defensively, but they're going to be frisky. They're going to make life difficult. And I think that's part of the reason why New Orleans and, 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 and to a degree Tampa Bay as well. Like I expect New Orleans to be outstanding this year. I think Tampa Bay will be very good. But, you know, it's going to be, you know, a slim margin in the NFC playoff picture. And either one of those teams could lose a game unexpectedly to one of those other two teams in the division and make, you know, that 11-5 and five versus 12-4 and four difference and potentially cost the team not a bye because there's only one bye this year, but, you know, maybe a potential first or second round playoff game at home. Yeah, and we kind of saw that last year with the Dolphins and the Patriots, right, in Week 17, where the Patriots needed a win, they get a bye, and they end up losing to this tough and gritty Dolphins team, even though everyone considered the Dolphins roster to be a joke last year, right? And, you know, Rule got a seven-year deal to be the coach, so he does have that long-term security to fix the roster the way he wants but there are just so many new faces and there were no OTAs and there's no preseason it just makes everything a big question mark with me for this team but I do agree with you where Brian Flores came in last year from Miami and he just changed the culture there and the players all played tough for him and even though the players were not so talented I could see the same thing happening in Carolina, and they have pieces there, by the way, but I could see the same thing happening with Matt Rule because all his players speak, all his college players speak so highly about him, so I could see the same scenario happening in year one for him there in Carolina. Um, next division here, let's keep on moving forward, the AFC West. The Chiefs are still on top, no debate there. The Denver Broncos are really interesting to me. You know, you add Judy and Hamler with Corlin Sutlin, which is awesome. I think Noah Fan is going to be a monster this year. I really like him. Gordon and Lindsay in the backfield. The defense with Vic Fangio in year two. You get back Bradley Chubb from the torn ACL. But it really all depends on Drew Locke. Are you on the lock hype train entering this season? And could you see this team as a wild card team in 2020? Uh, yeah, so I could. I could see them as a wild card team. And I'm confident in Drew Block on Drew Lock. I am not fully sold yet on Drew Lock. But I think of two players in the NFL, Drew Lock and Baker Mayfield, that I believe have the chance to influence their team positively or negatively as much as any other player in the NFL. And does that mean they're the most valuable quarterbacks? No. But what I would say, Ari, is that even in a world like if Patrick Mahomes plays as poor as we could reasonably expect Patrick Mahomes to ever play, what are the Chiefs this year? 10 and 6, 11 and 5, right? Like mm -hmm. they're not going to be bad. They're going to be excellent, right? 
the, the, the variance for the Chiefs is probably somewhere between 10 and 14 wins. That feels to me like about where they're going to be. 10 is if things don't go well at all, and 14 is if things go really well. If the Broncos get excellent quarterback play from Drew Locke, they might be able to win 10 games this year, maybe 11. If Drew Locke is not great this season, I think the Broncos can win five games this season, so I, or four games this season. So um, I think it's possible that – So and, and, and Baker Mayfield, I feel sort of comparably about, is that like there's this wide range of outcomes specifically tied to that player. So um, the strengths for Denver, as you alluded to, outstanding skill players. I mean, like really, really loaded skill players on paper. Excellent wide receivers, young players, and Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, you mentioned Noah fans. Um, the offensive line is, I like three out of five pieces. I have question marks about both the tackle spots. Garrett Bowles has been really, really disappointed for them. Back-to-back, uh, -back, maybe even back-to-back-to-back -to -back seasons leading the NFL in holding, which to me is a discipline issue for a player. It's a bad habits issue uh, mm -hmm. for a player. And then we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, Jawan James, who they signed last offseason, was banged up, got a ton of money to come from Miami. Um, he's going to have to be really good in a hurry. Because if not, while I do like the interior of the offensive line, I have my questions about the tackles. And, you know, that goes a long way, right? I mean, that goes a long way in protecting a quarterback that we're already forecasting to potentially be a little bit of a wild card himself. Totally. And, you know, Drew Locke last year was actually 4-1 and one in games in which he started. The one loss was against Kansas City in a blizzard. You really cannot blame him for that. But this year, it's a little bit different also because new offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. And the last time we saw Pat Shermer as an offensive coordinator, he had the Vikings in the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum as the quarterback. So a little bit different this year, but... I also do like that as well. Let's keep on moving here, and let's move to the most stacked division in the NFL. It is the NFC West, and I want to touch base on two things here. First of all, I'm really high on the Cardinals. People who listen to this podcast know that, but the division is stacked, as I said. But I could see them making a real push for a wildcard spot, especially with that extra spot this year, which we talked about earlier. I believe Kyler has a massive year to leap. Hopkins was a massive addition. We talked about that earlier. I was really impressed last year by Cliff Kingsbury, especially with his ability to adjust. You know, for someone who came in as this air raid offensive guy, he adjusted last year to using tight ends, to running the ball. I was really impressed by him. The defense is better. It's not, you know, fantastic. The offensive line needs some work. But this is my team that I could see, you know, they're like my, they might pop team this year. What do you think of the Cardinals? Yeah, so they are really exciting. And I want to start here because I think that the, Car uh, that the Cardinals this offseason were super opportunistic at basically every juncture. It wasn't just a DeAndre Hopkins trade. I know we spoke about it earlier in the sense that, like, there might be a chance that there was much more to it from the Houston. Inside. Now, that being said, you know, the Cardinals deserve the, you know, the, they deserve praise for pouncing on the chance to get a guy that was, you know, ha or has been one of the best wide receivers in football. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like, it's not just that you have, um, it's not just that you have David Johnson being traded. It's that you've got a guy who is at a high price point. Like, he was a negative asset for them relative to the backfield that they had. Besides, um, 
you know, David Johnson, they had Kenyon Drake. So um, opportunistic there. I thought that some of the signings they made this offseason were opportunistic. And I'm not just talking about the major money ones. I like the idea of signing someone like Kelvin Beecham. That, to me, was a smart signing. He makes less than a million dollars, or at least counts less than a million dollars against the cap. He started for like six straight years. He's coming off of a contract of like, I think, four years and 48 million bucks. Mm-hmm. He's not great, but he's definitely a worthwhile swing tackle. Um, but so I think Steve Kahn, like I, I give him legit props. I don't know if there's like an off-season executive of the year award, but he'd like at least be on my ballot. But I do wonder if there is uh, too much of defensive concern on this team to really be a team a factor this offseason, uh, this season. So you're right. Kyler is such a shot in the arm for not just the Cardinals, but for the league. They're going to be fun as heck offensively. I think they got a chance to unleash Kyler and really be kind of interesting this year. And I, when I mean um, yeah, unleash Kyler, I mean as a runner um, even more and more. we got to be careful there, but I think there's a chance to do that. But beyond that, Ari, uh, defensively, so I think they're going to be able to rush the passer pretty well. I think they are going to be able to uh, – be pretty stout up front you know they spent a lot of money on Jordan Phillips who had a great year last year for the Bills got I think three years 30 million dollars in total mm-hmm. Devon Campbell's pretty stout running a uh, scout stout linebacker they acquired in free agency as well but I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the cornerback group specifically Patrick Peterson will be the first to tell you it was not his best season last year beyond that um, you know Robert Alford a player that has been banged up quite a bit uh, they need more out of recent investments uh, in the secondary. And if they can cover in the secondary, they've got a chance. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, I know people that follow games closely on Sunday and meticulously and are sort of charting uh, in-game management. A lot of people have pointed to the fact that Kingsbury was, you know, fairly conservative last year. I, I know, I, I believe, I, mean, I want to say at one point, they were like the number one team in terms of field goal attempts or like they were the most conservative in terms of attempting to go for it on fourth and short. Um, so I would say that there's an excellent chance that this team just like kicks it up a notch by a more aggressive uh, overall mindset. I just think the division's really good, right? You've got San Francisco, who we think is going to be excellent this year. I think that the, you know, the Seahawks look on paper to be very good offensively and defensively revamped with the acquisition of Jamal Adams. And then the Rams are one of those funny teams, right? Because Sean McVay, like when they hired him, the idea was, all right, we have a player I'm a coach, excuse me. They can sort of tilt a season one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now with a lesser roster, does that mean that Sean McVay still can't do that? My point is that I think the Rams shouldn't be counted at either. So I think there's a chance that the Cardinals could be a much improved team and still finish fourth in the division this year. Totally. And Dan Olafsky was actually on this podcast a couple of months ago when he said, do not count out Sean McVay and the Rams. And I agree with him, but... As for the Cardinals, you mentioned all the additions they made. Cliff Kingsbury actually said this a few months ago, that last season in the preseason, he decided not to unleash his offense because he wanted to keep it a secret for week one. He said that was a massive mistake, and because of that, they got off to a slow start. I think they figured it out at the end of last season, and come week one this season, they are just going to be insanely fun to watch. But as we said, that division is just so stacked with so many great rosters, so many great players and coaches. 
it's without a doubt the one division that I'll be watching most closely in 2020. Um, one more thing here on the NFC West, and it actually has nothing to do with the division. It has to do with one player in particular. I am a huge George Kittle guy. Like Since his rookie year, I've been all over him. But he needs a new contract right now. And hear me out on this. All the markets in the NFL continue to spike up every single year except the tight end market like wide receivers at 22 million offensive tackles also at 22 million defensive end is now at 27 million after bosa's deal running back is at 16 million the tight end market never moves it's like at 10 and a half right now and they block and they catch they do all of that I believe Kittle should be asking and should be waiting for 16 or 17 million a year because he is that good. And if a player is going to reset the tight end market, it is going to be him. Would you agree with all of this? Interesting. So, I, yes, um, if there's anybody who's going to reset the market, it is unquestionably him um, because he is the best tight end that right now we're talking about getting. But I mean, actually, he's just the best tight end, right? Or at least. I, I don't. I don't lose too much sleep debating him versus Travis Kelsey. I, I think I, he is. Yeah, but and you know what? Like if if there was somebody else in this podcast who said I think it's it's uh, Travis Kelsey, I'd say you're both right. You know, yeah. I, whichever one of you feels like being more right on that day is right. So let me uh, spin things uh, backwards before we go forwards. So if you had to pick the top three tight ends in football, I presume it's not just George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, but Zach Ertz, right? Yeah, and maybe Gronk as well, but he just came back, though. Uh, yeah, but I would say even in the last season that Gronk played, or, or, so maybe it's Gronk, too. Okay. Um, but you know what? Gronk actually helps make this point, is that so Gronk, who's making $10 million this year, up to $10 bucks, signed an extension yeah, after his, his second yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, he signed his extension two years into his deal, which this was during the old CBA, so he was able to do so, right? Um, and Gronk was constantly looking for reworks, right? I mean, they gave him the incentives, they gave him the upside, all those things that the Patriots did to help sweeten the pot then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Kelsey, he signed his contract like the day after the Chiefs season ended after his third, in, third year in the league. Now he's a third round pick and he missed his entire rookie season, a guy who had a big knee issue, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he actually, I think he played in one game just briefly as a rookie, but he's sitting there saying, you're going to offer me eight years, 40 million bucks, three years into the league, that sounds better than, you know, waiting a year and risking it. Zach Ertz, same thing, almost the same deal as well, right? So you've got two players who are both outstanding, but both also took early deals. At the time, early deals, but they were not as established as George Kittle is right now, right? I mean, they were not, I, at least I would say George Kittle has a more compelling case that as the most dominant player in position in the league yeah. than either of those players did when they signed those three-year deals, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, those, those deals after year three. So, I spin things forward to spin things backwards now. Yes, I think that George Kittle has a chance to completely change the game with these position groups. And a couple of things to note. The 49ers have been unafraid of setting the market, right? The yeah. 49ers went above and beyond the – Fullback market with Kyle Juszczyk, right? That's yep. that, that was one example of it. We've seen other players uh, in that roster. Yeah, Garoppolo, he, you know, he started, what, six games, right, before he got a massive, massive cost. Five so, years, 137, yeah. 
Yeah, so it was, uh, at the time, I believe it was $27.5 million per season. It's a team that has been willing to go to the mat for their players in a contract. So I think that George Kittle ultimately gets a massive, massive contract for the 49ers. And if I'm George Kittle, I'm, I'm making the case as best I can that if there are wide receivers that are making $15, $16 million a year, $17 million a year, I mean, why, why wouldn't he be in that conversation, right? If he, is he as valuable as some of these wide receivers that are making $10 million per season? I mean, I would certainly think so. Um, and, and I think probably probably way more valuable than some of those guys, right? So yeah. I tend to think that 14, 15, 16, 17 is a reasonable ask for George Kittle. For sure. I mean, no tight end in NFL history has more receiving yards <laughs> in his first three years than George Kittle. The guy blocks, the guy catches, the guy brings energy. He's a great personality. And, you know, you mentioned it before, the Rob contract really kind of messed over the tight end market because it was a six-year deal added to the final two, which makes it eight. And he was the best in the league during that entire contract, which basically meant if a tight end lower than him really wanted a new deal, hey, you're not better than Rob, so why should you get more? Now, this is probably the best opportunity tight ends have ever had to reset the market. And from all the extensions that are still, I'm waiting for to happen, that's the one that I really want to see and see the numbers on that because, as you said, I do believe he has a chance to completely reset the tight end market for once, something that has not happened in a very, very long time. We have one more division here to do. It's the East, and let's start with the AFC East. You know the Patriots really well. After all the free agency movement and then all the opt-outs we just saw, how do you see this team looking in 2020? Because I'm never counting out Bill Belichick, but the Bills are just so interesting. What are your thoughts on the Patriots this year with Cam at quarterback? Yeah, I am unwilling to count them out as well. Um, that, that's something that I'm going to be like a year or two too late to do rather than a year too early to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's just that much of a body of work to show this team is really, really resourceful and talented and, and just, just they're a standard of excellence. I think Cam has a chance to be one of the most impactful moves of the offseason. And I know that might come across as sort of stating the obvious, but here's why, Ari, is that not just does Cam help fill a major need and a void, potentially, right? I mean, Jared said he could still win this job. I'm not convinced that's going to be the case. But think about the sequence of events. So Tom Brady states his intentions to leave a couple of days before free agency. He signs with the Bucks a couple of days later. Filling the shoes of Tom Brady is a massive challenge and I think it could be the kind of thing that can, can set a quarterback backwards, right? Because the minute you start to not meet that standard, that's all the conversation is, especially in a town that's used to winning and a city that's very passionate. I mean, I live here in Boston. I talk to Patriots fans every day in my neighborhood. They are fired up about football here 365 days a year. Now, move forward with this. I'm not saying that Cam doesn't have reverence for Tom Brady because he's already talking about how much he respects Tom Brady. But Cam knew has as much self-confidence as perhaps any athlete that I can think of in a good way, right? And because we want that from these guys. Patrick Mahomes, we want him to believe when he's down by 10 points in the playoffs, I've got him right where I want them. I don't think Cam is going to have an issue with the pressure of replacing Tom Brady. Now, beyond that, I've talked about this with people, a lot of coaches, is that this is going to be a year where you're going to find out to separate the guys who love football from the guys who play football for a living. And it's going to get really old, really quick in training. 
it just is. There's no fans. There's no energy. There's no preseason games. And say what you want. I know veterans don't want to be on preseason games. But <clears throat> it was at least a thing that they could look at during the preseason schedule and say, I, I just got to make it to Wednesday. Because on, on Wednesday, we're packing our bags and we're going to Detroit, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be when, when these guys are, are reporting for work this week and they've got to – their only prospects are September – 10th if you're the Chiefs or the, the, the Texans, and otherwise September 13th, right? Cam Newton's going to bring in energy every single day to the Patriots' practices that I think is going to motivate guys in a way that few athletes can do. I just think it, it, it's, it's something that's galvanizing about him. It's something that's interesting about him. I've seen it with, with other athletes that I've been around. I've seen it with coaches' art. I remember when I was in Kansas City working with the Chiefs, and we hired Charlie Weiss as our offensive coordinator – Charlie had previously been in Notre Dame and has sort of a larger-than-life personality about him. And there were guys that were fired up. They were like, we got Charlie Weiss as our offensive coordinator? That's awesome, yeah. right? Like, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing. So, anyways, my, my long my, – my way about uh, – that was way too long with it. But Cam is unquestionably a player that I think has a ton of value to the Patriots, not just as a quarterback, but as a potential leader right away. So let me go back to this. Would you put the Patriots over the Bills right now, or is that just too early to tell for you? Uh, I'm probably still a little bit too early to tell. Um, I, I just think that there is – I would still say that I think that uh, the Patriots – I'm going to pick them out of respect for what they've done. That's what I'm going to end up doing. Um, and I do think there's a, a case for them to be, um, you know, the best team in this division. Um, and I don't think it's that difficult of a case to paint. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I'm not going to count out Bill Belichick. I've learned my lesson in the past. Don't do that because we've I've done that in the past, and then they end up winning the division, they end up making the playoffs, they end up making the Super Bowl, they end up winning the Super Bowl. But with the Bills, I know you were on top of them from the start. What Brandon Bean, what Sean McDermott, what they're building there, it is going to be something special. I truly believe that. And if there is going to be one year where... New England finally does not win the division. It is probably this year, but as we said, we're not counting out Bill Belichick. They are still going to be involved in the AFC East this year. I don't care what happened in the past here this offseason, how many players opt out. Bill Belichick is still there, and that is all that matters to me at least. One more division here to cover, and that is the NFC East. And I like where Washington and the Giants are heading. I don't think they're there yet for me. The Cowboys and the Eagles, I think that is the two teams in that division. So let me just ask it to you straight up. Which team are you giving the edge to? Is it the Cowboys or is it Philadelphia? I'm going to go with the Eagles. And here's why. You know, I, I, don't, I was just, just going to say that you can make the case that the Cowboys roster top to bottom is more talented. I mean, it's, it's close, though, right? Comparable rosters. Mm -hmm. The Eagles obviously showed us something, and it's been the narrative all offseason, right? It's the, it's the narrative that, you know, the Eagles did more with less, the Cowboys did less with more, right? Um, I just think that Philly has a slightly more dynamic player quarterback than Carson Wentz. I think that some of the bad injury luck that's plagued them over their past few years is sort of bound to regress. Those things tend to even themselves out, right? And then defensively, I think the secondary's got a chance that to be much improved. So I'm going to go with Philly. I think there's a little bit more of an edge to them that I just think bodes really well. So I'm going to go with Philly over Dallas. But um, 
you know, that is sort of picking nits for me as well. Like, I, I actually think, like, if you have a ton of optimism about Dallas, I get it. Yeah, you know, Dallas and Philly both made a lot of moves this offseason. I love the Eagles adding Darius Slay and Javon Hargrave on defense. Hargrave is super underrated, but those are two big additions that will make their defense instantly better. But Dallas, I feel like having a quarterback on the franchise tag, it's like... It's like it's very awkward because you're not really committing to the quarterback long term. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's just weird. It's an awkward situation to be in. You know what it is? It's awkward. You know why? It's only happened twice before ever, right? Kirk Cousins in back-to-back seasons, and then Drew Brees for one year. Well, you know where that ended up for both of those guys? They left. Gone. Right? They're out. So, and I know that Stephen Jones says they're close, and I respect them saying that, but. We've been talking about them being close for like 18 months now, right? So, um, you know the old what's, what's the old uh, the saying? Close only ca- close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Well, in this case, Ari, like I, I sort of think that we we need to not worry about the Cowboys and Dak being close. We need to worry about the Cowboys and Dak having a deal in place. That's the rhetoric that I care about. Yeah, for sure. And Eagles and Cowboys fans are always debating on Twitter which team is better, which quarterback is better. It is never going to stop. But as you said, you can make the argument for either team to win this division like it is every year. I mean, the great part about the NFC East, which is incredible, a different team has won the division for 15 consecutive years. That stat is amazing to me. Last year was Philadelphia. Um, I think we both agree Philadelphia has the edge, but if that stat continues, that means a different team will win it this year. All right, so that takes care of all the divisions. We talked a little bit about each one, and as I said in the very beginning of this, I do want to talk about your self-field because I do find your path to ESPN to be a very interesting one. So I guess my first question here is, when did you decide that you want to be involved with football? When did all of this start for you? Well, Ari, and I, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating here. It's just a fact. I knew at a very young age that I was not going to be able to play sports professionally for my living. We all, I think a lot of us, want to grow up and or grow up and want to be a, a pro, pro athlete, right? Same. Um, I realized that wasn't going to be the case for me um, pretty early on in my life. I always, always, always wanted to coach football. I knew that from a very young age. I thought I was going to take over for Bill Belichick. As I mentioned, I am from Massachusetts. I actually still live in Massachusetts. So local team, you figure you're going to take over uh, for the local coach. I'm glad I pivoted from that plan because I've been sitting here at the age of 33 waiting for Belichick to retire. <laughs> going anywhere for a long time. Um, now, that being said, I did continue to pursue my path and – uh, I'll give the short version is I ended up getting what I call an internship because it's, it sort of profiles as comparable to an internship, but it's not like I like went online and applied for it. I got lucky in, when I was like 14, have a chance to go ball boy, a Patriots rookie mini camp through a friend that knew someone. So it's a know someone who knows someone situation. Mm-hmm. And that led to me ended up having, ending up having the opportunity to start working for the Patriots um, during every training camp. And basically every, every training camp and every, like any break I had from school. So five weeks off around Christmas, uh, fall break in the season, I played football in college for, for a couple of seasons. So I didn't have as much time in the fall, but as much time as I could, I was at Gillette Stadium. So I was there. I was, I mean, I'm not saying that I was, uh, you know, by far anywhere close to the most important person uh, on the roster or part of the organization, but 
I was there, right? I was, and it was fun for me. And that was what I grew up doing. I wanted to be a coach. And I spent a couple of years there um, learning the coaching side. I spent a couple of years there learning the scouting side. And um, so I spent a ton of time around Gillette Stadium and had the chance to learn from not just the best uh, coach of all time, but some incredible personnel men and some awesome players, right? I mean, Teddy Bruschi and I have maintained a friendship now for nearly two thirds of my life because Teddy was there when uh, I was, you know, ball bowling and, and then working with the Patriots. Mike Vrabel was there, Rick Seymour was there, Rodney Harrison, Tom Brady, guys that, you know, we all know and, and not to, well, I guess Brady's still going with his football <laughs> career as a player, but the rest of those guys, right? So anyways, um, I, I said I wouldn't be long-winded and here I am. I worked for the Chiefs after college. That was the next step. Right. And I had a great, great experience there for a few years. Um, and then I pivoted. And I'd love to tell you, Ari, that what happened was I had this epiphany. I wanted to go from working in scouting to working in um, ESPN, sports media. It did not happen. Um, I came home. I got my real estate license. I thought it was going to work. Six months later, I hated it. And I started the blog. And that is how my sports media career began. Oh, wow. So that's actually very interesting because as I've told you privately, I also have a real estate license. So how did you end up at ESPN in the end? How did that happen? You have had <clears throat> recently the great Mike Reese on yes. as a podcast. Yes. So um, I was very fortunate to, during my time in football, I had a chance to meet some really great people along the way, um, people in the media that were helpful. And um, at some point I was given the advice basically, Hey, you know, let's find a way to send out your resume or your sort of, not even your resume, because my resume included no journalism, but, uh, speak about, or sort of give a, a version as to what you've done in football. Maybe that will make you more enticing to media companies. So I had a chance to reach out to, I think 50 or so Ari, and I heard back from one person and it was Mike Reese, who at the time was ESPN Boston. And it's, now ESPN, he was part of the, the family before, but it, ESPN Boston does not sort of exist on its own anymore. Mm -hmm. Mike Reese asked me to uh, spend the 2020 NFL draft with him. Uh, the Patriots had two first round picks that year. They went on to draft Dante Hightower and Chandler Jones. I'd say that's pretty good yeah. uh, for the Patriots. And Mike asked me to come help him out. And I don't think he actually needed the help. I just think he wanted to give me an opportunity because he's one of the most gracious people you ever meet in your life. That turned into coming back uh, to OTAs in a world where we still had OTAs, mini camps, and then training camp. And I eventually had a sort of an opportunity to kind of stick with ESPN, but I needed to take a more, more responsibility. They didn't need me and my and Mike Rodak at the time covering the Patriots altogether. They needed, you know, I didn't need to be, we didn't have three people for one team. So I ended up getting more utility and that's where people like Adam Schefter came into my life. And Adam, I had already got, I'd already met previously, but Adam helped sort of elevate me to new heights and new platforms at ESPN um, by being incredibly gracious with his time. And our boss, Seth Markman, mm -hmm. who was the innovator of NFL insiders. So in 2013, uh, NFL insiders was launched and, I don't know uh, what Seth saw in me as a, you know, a TV personality or TV person because I hadn't done much of it, but he entrusted me. He took a chance on me. I, I always say that you know, life is about taking chances. And sometimes it's about taking a, chances, taking a chance on, on people. And I am incredibly grateful that, you know, P 
people like Seth and Adam and Mike invested in me and gave me an opportunity. And that to me has been, uh, it's, it's been quite literally life changing. It is um, everything I could ask for. And I uh, feel so fortunate to have the job that I do today um, and feel like it's, I think everybody who works in our business has to work hard. I also understand that it's about the great, great people that are a part of this industry that make it really worth it. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And, you know, one of the things that people don't see with a podcast or don't hear of a podcast is the things that happen before we hear record, right? Like you mentioned, Mike came on this podcast. Mike, before we started, spoke to me 15, 20 minutes before. After we finished recording, spoke to me another 15, 20 minutes after. Same thing with Adam, 15 minutes before, 20, 25 minutes after, just talking about everything, you know, anything I wanted to ask them, they're open and gracious with their time. Same thing with you as well, by the way, but like, it's it just proves what you're saying to be true. And they are very gracious with their time. They told me whatever you need, feel free to message us, call us, whatever it is. And it clearly was something that helped you in a big way to get to the point that you're at right now. But what about the fantasy aspect for you obviously you've become pretty big in the fantasy world was that something that just started at espn or is that something you always had how did that work out yeah so i've been playing fantasy football since i was 13 or 14 years old as i mentioned earlier i'm 33 so 20 years um and i'm glad you asked about that because i I don't i I didn't uh gloss over it um I, i sort of didn't bring it up intentionally only because a lot of this podcast is more of the the sort of news and analysis side of what i do but um, I had a chance when I was talking about how ESPN said, like, hey, we can't just have you cover the Patriots. you got to do other stuff. Part of that was working on a podcast at the time with uh, Chris Harris for a couple of seasons. And then someone named, named Nate Rabbits, who is uh, an executive at ESPN, was hosting the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. And he said, guys, I need to do my, my, my real job here, so I've got to move off the Fantasy Focus Podcast. And as a result of that, uh, there was an opening there. And I had not had much of an opportunity to work with Matthew. Uh, but that being said, um, him and I had known each other, had grown friendly. And uh, ESPN encouraged me to um, give fantasy a professional shot. Not that I was res- uh, resistant to it, but just the idea that you know, I, hadn't, I hadn't had that opportunity beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I found something that now I've grown exceptionally passionate about, and I consider it sort of the lifeline of a lot of football fans, the lifeline of a lot of football fans. A lot of people are football fans because of their fantasy football team. They they don't even root for someone specifically or some team specifically. So I um, think that there has just been so much of my life that has been opened up because of working in fantasy football. And I would say that the people I work on the podcast every single day, it is a it's it's an amazing experience as you mentioned at the beginning of the show we start back up on monday but the amount of fun that i have with matthew and Stefania and daniel and kyle and keith and matt and all the people that are part of our crew is unparalleled and while football is unpredictable and fantasy football is unpredictable it is so much fun mm-hmm. to just engage and have great conversations and banter it, sometimes you're right sometimes you're wrong sometimes both people are wrong sometimes both people are right but I think it's, it's the passion that people show for fantasy football that really, really shines and stands out and makes it worth it. Totally. And I've said this on the podcast before. Football is the number one sport in America and fantasy football is number two. It's a great way of putting it. It really is. 
it just goes hand in hand, right? Like you watch football, you play fantasy, you watch the games, you track it all, and it's just incredible how big fantasy has become, and it's only getting bigger, by the way. It's just incredible. One more thing here on ESPN. I've seen recently that you're hosting NFL Live. Is that something new on your plate or just here for the offseason? What's going on there? That's a good question. We'll find out. Um, I, I believe it will be something that will be a part of my uh, experience at ESPN more and more going forward. I'll be doing – I appreciate you noticing, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be going back uh, to the hosting chair on Monday, August 10th, I believe, is the next time I'm hosting. I'll be doing that for, I think, four or five days that week. Um, I've loved it. And, you know, part of the reason why, are that I really loved it is that um, – you know, in terms of my role uh, on, on ESPN, you know, we, not that every single show has to be broken down this way, but a lot of our smart football shows are, you know, we have some sort of former coach or player representation. Um, and then also, um, you know, may, maybe a general manager as well. Um, and then we have, you know, certainly some of our great, great reporters. Um, and for me, play, host has been a great way, I think, at least in my opinion, to uh, try to sort of weave in some of the knowledge that I believe I have in a really organic way um, because when you have people like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to paint the player's perspective, right? Because I'm not a former player. It's hard for me to paint the head coach, head coach perspective because I'm not a former head coach. Right. So I really enjoy the hosting. I think uh, energy is something that I think is really important in a television show. And I try to have uh, you know, a lot of energy when I'm on TV. So I really enjoyed it. And I hope that it gives, uh, it's in a chance to keep doing it more and more going forward. And uh, if they say they're interested, I would, uh, you know, it'd be a lot of fun. And I've really enjoyed it. 100%. And I'll say it right here. You've done a great job at it. And I will be watching to see if you keep on doing it moving forward as we get closer to the season. All right, let's wrap this up here with a quick five. We do this every week. It is five questions. You try to keep it short. If you want to expand on anything, feel free to do so. And this week, with your Fantasy Focus Football podcast returning, all five questions will be fantasy-related. All right, so let's do this. Number one, we spoke about Cam Newton earlier. Is Cam Newton a top 10 fantasy quarterback for you this season? Yes, I have him, I believe, ranked 11th, but I'm ready to move him up to 10 just to be consistent with my answer here and my rankings. No, more seriously, yes, I believe Cam Newton has a chance to be uh, a top 10 quarterback and, and definitely in that conversation. All right, number two. Last year, we saw a bunch of rookie receivers break out, and those guys were not even first-round picks. We saw guys like DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin. Darius Slayton was a fifth-round pick. He was amazing. Which rookie receiver do you think could break out like that this year from this year's rookie wide receiver class? Great question. I think Justin Jefferson has a chance to be the best rookie wide receiver this year because he's got a direct path to being a starter, and um, you know he's dynamic. I mean, the guy I thought was going to be the third drafted, or could have been the third drafted receiver last year. I know that sounds crazy, but people in the NFL told me they wouldn't have been stunned by it. He obviously was not. I think he was the fifth, but a really, really talented player. Yep, and and actually, if you go back to the draft week episode we had here on the podcast, I said that Justin Jefferson should be in that conversation with the other top three wide receivers. Of course, eventually he does go fifth. The Eagles passed on him, which I'm still confused by, but that's a different conversation. All right, number three, who is your sleeper running back this year in fantasy? All right, so we talked about it a little bit earlier in a less favorable context. 
He's not a sleeper in the sense that no one's heard of him, but I am more bullish on David Johnson than mm. basically all my colleagues. Uh, and, and I could be way wrong here, Ari, but he's not an explosive runner. He has an average four yards or more per carry, I think in four straight seasons. But I play PPR scoring. David Johnson is going to pile up probably – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by 80 catches this year. It would not surprise me at all. And the Texans, you know, they have to sleep in the bed they've made, right? Mm-hmm. And the bed they've made was trading for David Johnson as part of a DeAndre Hopkins deal. So I think David Johnson's going to have – a really, really exceptional season this year. I could be totally off there, but if you play PPR scoring, would not surprise me if he was a baller this season. That's actually very interesting. I actually really like it because in order to make that trade a little bit justified, we got to see David Johnson do something, and I would hope that Bill O'Brien uses him a lot, and he will be someone who puts up numbers, and I actually like that as your sleeper pick there. For question number three, let's move on. Question number four, who is a player who has sneaky upside for you in fantasy this year? All right, so I know that this guy is not, again, unknown. But right now, on ESPN, A.J. Green is outside the top 30 of wide receivers. I've got him inside my top 30, but the consensus ranks have him up outside. This guy was at one point a consensus top five wide receiver. I understand he hasn't played, and I understand that we're fearful of the chance that once again, he gets hurt this season or that is, you know, he's, he's upset about his contract. He doesn't, he doesn't want to risk anything in his age 31 or 32 season, but AJ green is still special. And that quarterback he plays with now, Joe Burrow has me very excited for his prospects. Yep. AJ green signed this franchise tag. We'll play on that $18 million this year. And you know, the rule, if he does well, he'll hit the free agent market next year and have a chance to cash in one more time before his age 32 season, I believe. And speaking of his quarterback, he officially signed his contract today with the Bengals. Last one here. Who is a late round quarterback that you're high on? I know there's a lot of them, but give me one or two. I think Daniel Jones has crossed the point of being sort of like a late round quarterback because so many people are in on Daniel Jones. I'll stick with Joe Burrow. I think it's a player that really intrigues me. Joe, uh, plenty of skill, obviously, and certainly a good cast of weapons. Um, But you need to have a couple of other ingredients here. You need a bad defense. And I think the Bengals will be improved defensively, but I don't think they're going to be great. And the reason why I say you need a bad defense is because you want to be playing from behind as much as possible. Joe Burrow, also a very, very good athlete. He can run. He may not be Lamar Jackson, but nobody is in terms of athletic ability, right? He is a very functional athlete. Um, so I think Joe Burrow is a, a, one of my favorite late-round targets as well. It's also exciting to draft a guy who just went number one overall in the real draft. Yeah, that's totally true. And your last two answers, AJ Green, Joe Burrow, back-to-back Bengals here to cap off this episode. All right, Field, I want to thank you for coming on this week. Everyone can, of course, go follow you on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at Field Yates. The Fantasy Focus Pod officially returns on August 3rd. Field, thanks so much for coming on again. I appreciate you having me on. As always, keep up the great work and uh, keep crushing the game. You're doing excellent. Same to you. I appreciate it, buddy. Special, special thanks to ESPN's Field Yates for coming on the podcast this week. As I said, I mean, I owe him a great debt of gratitude for all the help that he's given me over the last year since I met him down there in Bristol. It was almost one year ago. And special thanks to him again for sharing all that insight on the upcoming season, talking about a bunch of different teams, talking about his career and path to ESPN, talking some fantasy football, just a little bit of everything. And that was really, really good. That does 
does it here for this week's My Sports Update Football Podcast. Thank you all for listening, for downloading, for rating, for subscribing, for doing all of the great stuff there. I do truly appreciate it. If you have not done so yet, go rate it, go review, go subscribe to the podcast so other football fans just like you can find this podcast and listen along. I am your host, Ari Marab. I'll be back for another episode next week with another very special guest. Until then, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you all next week.